Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. have a Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah's more in the middle of the Bible. Uh, you, you just have to find it. Isaiah chapter 9. <laughs> Can't really coast you. Take a minute, find Isaiah. And we're going we're gonna to look at the passage that Lisa read from the inspiration. Again, uh, let me just reiterate some things that we said a couple weeks ago when we were uh, introducing our Christmas season sermon uh, the week before uh, the Christmas play, is that the word Christmas, Christmas, literally means the worship of Christ. It is, a, it is about worshiping Him and focusing on Him. And what we particularly focus on is the miracle and the wonder that God became human. God entered our world in, as, and through Jesus Christ. And there's and as I told you uh, that week, when you're preaching as a pastor, uh, there's about eight different Christmas passages you have to choose from. You have to pick them, and sometimes it can be a little bit, feel a little redundant. And, and what I want to do uh, today, as we did a few weeks ago, is kind of have a little bit more of a devotional time around a passage that will be very familiar with us, a very familiar Christmas passage from Isaiah. In fact, when we were on the way over here, driving over here, Lisa and I were talking about this passage and how she was... She was looking over the inspiration, the whole seven verses, and said, oh, it's, you know, usually we read this really happy verse in the middle about Jesus being a child born to us. We don't read the context of it. So if you will, give me a second. And I want to set up uh, the context of this verse that is often read at Christmas time and let you understand why Isaiah said this, why it's there, and, and how it may speak more and more directly to circumstances we may find in our life. Um, the, the book of Isaiah, if you ever read it, it's 66 chapters long. It was um, uh, written uh, about 850 B.C. And what was going on in Isaiah's time? He was a prophet, and there was a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was facing a really challenging dilemma. Here was his dilemma. He was a, Israel, Judah was a smaller country, and there was a large country looming, Assyria, that was bent on conquest. They were coming and they were expanding and they were beginning to move toward their region of the world. And they would come in and you would either pay tribute to them. You could either, it's like the old saying, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. You either, it's like, it just literally is like mafia. They come in and say, you know, we want to protect you. You'll have to give us a lot of money to do that. But if you don't do it, you're, you're, they're going to invade and, and conquer. So it's just much easier to, to give them money. And what was happening in uh, Ahaz's day in that time in Judah, there was an alliance being formed between some smaller countries, one named Syria, Damascus, and Ephraim. And they were trying to make an alliance to protect themselves from Assyria. Now also, uh, the other option that King Ahaz had to him was Egypt said, we'll become, instead of paying taxes to Assyria, you pay less to us and we'll protect you from them. And Isaiah the prophet is going to King Ahaz and he is challenging him not to compromise, not to, uh, to stand in faith. 
and to trust that God will be who he said he will be in his life. And he's vacillating with it. And what ends up happening, Ahaz actually ends up just giving into Assyria. He ends up just paying tribute to them. He begins to worship their gods along with worshiping uh, the God of Israel. And he just compromises. Now, later in the book of Isaiah, as we get to chapter 39, there's another king. This king is Hezekiah. He faces a very similar situation. And Hezekiah takes Isaiah's advice. And, and Assyria is coming to conquer. They are they're very... Uh, brutal about it. And as they're coming in, Hezekiah stands strong. And we know this fact from history uh, that Sennacherib, the leader of Assyria, was advancing and moving toward them. They were encamped around him with a huge army. And what happened as Hezekiah stood strong, a plague broke out in the Assyrian army. Very serious, very severe plague. And they ended up having to retreat. And they left. So we have sort of a contrast here in Isaiah of a king that compromised, a king that capitulated, and a king that could stood strong. And then the rest of Isaiah from chapter 40 on is just instructing Israel through poems about um, what's going to happen in their future. But that's kind of the, the big point of Isaiah is it's a challenge to stand strong. And one of the things that we find out in life the Bible teaches about is that truth has is not always convenient. Oftentimes, truth is wrapped in uncertainty. It's unwrapped in difficulty. It's wrapped in very challenging circumstances. And to live out the truth, to do what we know we're supposed to do, is often in the immediate a very, very challenging thing to do. And this is what this book is all about. And so let's look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and kind of see how he fits Jesus into this dilemma that we all face. We all face this in our lives. We all face the reality that there's circumstances uh, that, we, that, make, that we're living in that make truth inconvenient and difficult and tough to really live out. And this is what's happening here. In, in chapter 9, verse 1, Isaiah the prophet writes and he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon, the land of Nephali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, as we look in this passage, in verse 1, he, he begins to talk about here the past, how he humbled the lands of Zebulon and the folly. Now, these are two of the lands, two of the tribes of Israel. Israel, when it became a nation, it was divided up into 12 territories, and these are two of them. And they were kind of not well known, and they were, if you looked at a map, they were kind of in the northern central part of Israel. And, and Isaiah the prophet is talking to these two territories, and he's saying, you know, you've been kind of humbled, you've been kind of remote, but God is going to honor you in an incredible way. And, and what is really interesting is we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And the base of his ministry was in a place called Capernaum. Well, they're in this area called uh, the, the land of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's probably just a coincidence. I'm being funny. It wasn't funny. Thank you very much for catching that one. Uh, but he's it's, 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 it's telling them, hey, you two lands, something's coming from you in this, this part of the world. And then he goes on here. And in verse 2, he talks about how the people walking in darkness are going to see a great light. And the, the real term in the Hebrew is they're going to see a flash of light. Something bright, something profound, something powerful, like a, a boom of light. And then as he begins to describe this light more, he says it's a light that has dawned. In other words, this is not just a flash in the pan, as we say. This is a light that is, that is emerging and is going to grow and grow and increase and increase in a remarkable ways. And he talks about in verse 3, you're going to enlarge the nation. You're going to increase their joy. And, and people are going to be excited. And he compares it to two things. One is like having a harvest. A harvest where you plant, you get back more than you plant. The other thing he, he reminds it of is like a, a soldiers who are dividing the spoils of war. And the idea is there's going to be this situation in which you are going to receive back more than you put in. That's what, and that's what grace really is. You, you're getting back, receiving more than you ever put in. And he's talking about this age where that's the way you're going to feel about life. And then verse 4 he says this, it'll be like in the day of Midian's defeat. Midian's defeat is, is a referring to a story in the Old Testament, the story of Gideon. And it's in the book of Judges. And Gideon was a uh, young man who was his people were terrorized by an a army from a, a land called the Midian, the Midianites. And the Midianites were just terrorizing them. And Gideon was, the, was a kind of an innocuous nobody. In fact, when God calls him, his response to God calling him is, well, I'm the least my family's the least, I'm the youngest, I am the most insignificant and unlikely person to be used to conquer an army. And God says, well, let me tell you how I'm going to do it. And he gets Gideon together, and he begins to whittle down this army, and God ends up taking an army of 300 people that literally did not wield a sword or shoot an arrow or do anything. They just blew trumpets. And God gave them a powerful victory over their oppressor. Now, and this is what Isaiah the prophet is seeing the Messiah is going to do. And he's telling them, just that, just think about that victory that was experienced in Israel's history, in our history, from Isaiah's point of view. He's saying there was an enemy that was oppressing us. 
And it was, that enemy was defeated by God's power alone. This is what the Messiah is coming to do. He's coming to defeat our enemy. He's coming to break yokes over our back by God's power alone. And then he goes on here to continue to talk about that. In verse 5, every warrior's boot will be used in battle. Every garment that will be rolled in blood will be destined for fire. In other words, he's putting an end to war. There will no longer be a need for, for war. And then he gets into the passage we know so much about. For unto us, and he's talking about what is going to bring about this age. What is going to bring about this age of grace? What is going to bring about this age of victory and freedom and, and the breaking of the power of oppression over our lives? What's going to bring it about? And he talks about the character who will do it. And he says this about him. Unto us, in verse 6, a child is born, a son is given. In other words, the, the Savior, the Messiah, the one coming to bring this age is going to be born as a child. He's going to be a baby. He is going to have a real, genuine human experience. You know what every human being has in common? We all were born. Everybody was born. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And he, he has this description of him. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's look at what he is saying about this Savior and the Messiah. He calls him a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. Now, what does that word mean? Now, he doesn't mean he is a terrific therapist. I have actually seen sermons where guys would preach from this and they would say, Jesus is a great, you know, you can tell him your problems. He's like a great Therapist, and I'm like going, Oh, really? That's wonderful. Okay, but but the idea wonderful it, it means somebody who is worthy of worship. In other words, you will respond to him in awe, in wonder, in oh my goodness, I, I cannot believe how extraordinary. I cannot believe it is someone who will surpass your expectations. Wonderful. And it gets this emotional response of worship. And the idea of counselor does not mean a therapist, although that's a great thing. I don't mean to be mean toward that. But, but the idea of a counselor would be a consultant who would plan out wars, who would plan out battles, who would plan out buildings of cities, who would talk about how to build a, a structure. It's someone who is a planner, a thinker, a, a kind of a big picture person. And what he's saying is when we really see him coming, we will go, wonderful counselor, it is awesome how you have built this thing. It's awesome how you've brought about your plan, not only in a big aggregate way, but in our lives, we will say, wow, wonderful that I trusted you that I trusted you with my life, that I trusted you to build my life. It will be wonderful. It will be awesome. The second thing he is is mighty God. Mighty God. Now, this is an incredible passage in, in, in this that he's basically saying people will call the Messiah the mighty God, almighty God. You know, back in those days, if you were to look at the religious proclivities of all the people in the world, Israel was very unique in every single nation. Israel was monotheistic. 
They're the only people on earth that believed in one God. Every other tribe, every other nation, every other people believed they were polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods. They had a God, but you had a God, whatever. They just respected every other God, and it was just a polytheistic uh, community except for Israel. They thought all that was silly. They believed there was one God who created everything, and, and he had chose them, and he was, he was communicating with them. The thing about that, Israel, Jewish people, would have been the last people on earth to ever call a human being God. But yet we know from history that the beginning Christians, the early Christians who were Jewish, called Jesus God. They understood him to be God. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Mighty God. His name will be called Everlasting Father. Again, the idea of eternity, the everlastingness. Again, the divinity of, of Christ is mentioned here. And the last term he's called here is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. He will bring peace to in a world that is remarkable and is unique. He'll bring peace with God. And when people have peace with God, they'll have peace with each other. You know, I remember uh, reading this. And in fact, I looked at it last night, this story. It was on the History Channel, they had done a, 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 a documentary of it. It was something that happened in 1914 during World War I. It's called The Truce of 1914. And what was happening, it was Christmas Eve, and has anybody ever seen a movie about World War I? You know, it's like, it, it's like this brutal, crazy way to fight. They basically dug trenches, and they would get up out of the trenches and shoot each other with machine guns, and nobody could move. It was just everybody was in these ditches, and they could run around in the ditches. Every now and then, somebody would dare try to come over and, and move. And it was very difficult, very brutal, awful war. Not that they aren't all awful, but it was just a. you look at these movies and think, oh, my God, just a terrible, terrible way to fight a war. And, um, but, and this is going on. It's 1914. The Germans are on one side, and the French and the Italians and the English are on the other and what happened on Christmas Eve is the troops started singing Christmas carols. The troops on this side started singing Christmas carols. The Germans were first. They were singing Christmas carols. The other troops heard them and started singing Christmas carols in their language. So you're in the middle of a war where people are gunning each other down and they're singing Christmas carols. They're singing about a Savior who is going to be born in Bethlehem, who has come to the earth, and they're, they're worshiping Jesus. And they each hear the other doing it. And so what happens is they start coming out of their bunkers and they go and meet each other in the middle of a war. And they start talking with each other. They start exchanging gifts. They give each other chocolate and cigarettes. Smoking wasn't a sin back then. And they're giving, they're doing this. And then they start playing soccer and laughing and singing. And they had a worship, like they literally had a 
worship service. They had a Christmas worship service in the middle of World War I. Like, who else in history does that? Who else in history stops a war because they, he, he, in worship of him and in honor of him, he interrupted a war? 1,900 years after he's gone, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And then he goes on here and he, he says in verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we, we can see this in history, the, the kingdom he has built, how incredible it is. Historian Philip Scharf said that of Jesus, he has conquered more millions, more people than Charlemagne or Caesar or Napoleon, all combined. He did it without weapons. He did it without resources. And he is just, it's, it's an incredible, incredible thing we see written here in Scripture that has actually come to life, and we know it has in our day. Now, how could this speak to us today? How, did, how, did it, how was it intended to speak to the king Isaiah was speaking with, Ahaz? How is it intended to speak to us today? We see, here's the, the thing that, that I find true, is all of us, are like Ahaz. All of us. We have a real difficult time choosing truth because truth is often wrapped in very inconvenient circumstances. It can be wrapped in very inconvenient circumstances. It, we can be circumstances that deals with our, our principles, our ethics, can be relationships, it can be in a number of different areas, but truth is wrapped in very difficult circumstances very, very often. And what this is telling us, it's still truth. And even though it's wrapped in very different cir difficult circumstances, it is one thing the alternatives are not. It is powerful. It is prevailing. And it is what triumphs in the end. And Isaiah can look at a king who is terrified, and I would be too, and you and I would be too, if an army was threatening to invade us and level our community, level our city. And he could tell King Ahaz, remember who you are. Remember who we are. We're the Hebrew people. We're the Jewish people. From us, unto us, a child is going to be born. This is what he's going to be like. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He'll be a mighty God. He'll be an everlasting father. He'll be the prince of peace. The government was going to rest on his shoulders. Salvation of the earth is going to rest on his shoulders. And his government and his kingdom will increase forever. That is who we serve. That's who we cleave to. 
And I just want to encourage you as you, you face life, as you face circumstances, as you face this reality that truth is wrapped in, in inconvenience so, so often, to trust him and believe him and to walk with him and rely on a God who spoke literally 3,000 years ago of a coming Messiah and we've seen that he's come and we've seen that he's done exactly what he said he would do. You and I can rely on truth no matter how inconvenient, no matter how uh, difficult the circumstances it's wrapped in is and we can, we can move forward in life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this drop of prophecy about Jesus. It sort of dropped in this sort of kind of cataclysmic circumstance. And Father, I think we all face cataclysmic circumstances. And we thank you that you drop the truth of Jesus in it and you challenge us to live by faith follow and obey. Lord, I pray you give us the grace to do that. The grace to experience a counselor who is wonderful, a God who is mighty, a Father who is everlasting, and to experience the great Prince of Peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.